G'day everybody, after a couple of trials and tribulations trying to get connected to videos and cameras, it's welcome to the Saundale and Redders podcast leading into Christmas after a truncated weekend due to rainfall in Newcastle, unfortunately. It's a very warm welcome to the guru, Dan Saunders. How are you, great man? I'm well, Redders. How are you? Hope, uh, hope you're well. Hope you're all set for uh, Christmas. Oh yeah, I've got to work tomorrow. I'm not really worried about Christmas, to be quite honest. I've got quite a bit of work on at the moment. So, um, yeah, just Christmas isn't that big a deal for me, to be quite honest. I've got to work on Boxing Day. So, um, this, um, yeah, it's, it is what it is. I'm looking forward to it, though. Get to see the grandkids and just have a quick break from what's been a frenetic cricket season, my friend. Um, now, I'm going to go over, over here to our results from the weekend in Division 1. And unfortunately, everybody, there weren't many results. So, um, Dan will correct me if any of this is, is wrong. Um, the Mer- Merriweather Derby, the Lions were one for 20 out of nine when that game was abandoned at Connolly. Nelson Bay and Redhead did not get on at all at Don Waring Oval. There was, however, two results. Westwater will won um, three for 70, chasing Warners Bay 68 at Hexham. The Rose Scholars were one for 53 against Cardiff in an interesting situation. However, that game was abandoned. And then Port Stevens had put a good performance together. Nine for 183 over there at 1833 and a very important win over the West Journeyman, 131 uh, all out. Dan, where would you like to start tonight, given that we've got three abandonments? Do you want to have a look at particularly at the two games that were actually played and won and lost? Yeah, I think we'll just focus on the completed games. The abandoned games, there was a... Well, firstly, the Nelson Bay game, that game was called off Saturday morning. There was a, a belt of rain went through up the Bayway at 6, 7 a.m., which made play, uh, well, too wet. Even a synthetic game up there was also called off due, due to how wet it got. Um, and then another wave of rain come through around 1.30. Um, as you'll see in a lot of those games, we're in between 9 and 12 overs. The rain's hit and just haven't been able to return to the field. You'll see a lot in the lower grades where, a lot of games were abandoned without a ball being bowled, just hitting it about right on start time, um, really just making it impossible. So I think we'll just focus on the games that were completed. If uh, quick podcast is a good podcast, indeed. So uh, Warners Bay and Waterboard agreed to play at Hexham at Hexham Park. Nobody's under any illusions that was the pitch had been affected by weather. That's the way it is. But they did agree to play Warners Bay all out sixty eight. Only Giles Manley and our man David Abson made double figures. And Mitch Cronin and Ben Jurd have turned it on. Mitch Cronin, five for 26 off eight. And Ben Jurd, four for 23 off two. Got them to 68. And to be quite honest, Waterboard made reasonably quick work of it. Now, um, Dan, can you talk us through this result? There is um, DLS that is listed on here. Did that act, what was this actually a DLS result? Please, and I'm just asking, I'm not trying to be subjective. Um, was this, did this end up being a DLS chase? Uh, no, it did not. No, um, the rain, the game was completed, completed full. And and to be quite honest, Warners Bay won the toss and elected to bat first. Yeah. Um, I've, I've spoken to a couple of people from this game um, since the weekend and full credit to Waterboard. They, Mitch, Mitch Cronin and especially Ben Jurd, they had that ball rocking and rolling. There's no real gremlins in the wicket. Yeah, there'd been some rain Saturday morning, but neither party was blaming the wicket. Um, Waterboard just bowled exceptionally well, held their chances. Um, again, Giles Manley, who's been in red hot form with the bat the last couple of weeks, top score with 18. Uh, Dave Absalon held that middle order together, uh, scoring 11 from 28. I believe he came in at the scores four for 41 
It was last man dismissed at 68. Um, but you know, from the mouths of Warners Bay, they didn't apply themselves with the bat. Now, pretty much at full strength. I think Grant Reardon was the only real top order bat unavailable. Um, but full credit, Mitch Cronin. Um, he had a big weekend, which we'll talk about as we get on the podcast with the John Ball as well. That five for 26, uh, great figures. There's five no balls. So the front foot was a bit of an issue. So there's some free hits that have gone yeah. in there as well. Um, the Ben Dern, he really ripped apart that top order. Um, but yeah, look, there was Warners Bay not offering any excuses. Their water board turned up the play, bowled them out, neck and crop. Um, yeah, I, when I first saw the scores, because I was following it live, I thought, gee, that must be because I drove through there. I actually went up to Maitland on the weekend with the kids and I drove past there around one o'clock. Um, and that play was just about to start. I thought, oh, gee, we'd like to be playing up here today because it was looking filthy. It looked like it was going to bucket down at any, but they got a full game in. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, chasing 69 in 40 overs. They've done it in 15, so the wicket couldn't have been that bad. <laughs> no, it's a very important win too. And um, uh, congratulations to them on getting that win, a very important win for the waterboard over there at, Hex- at, at Hexham. Yeah, the I other game was- that was completed, ladies and gentlemen, was Port Stevens. Um, you go, sorry. So I was just going to say, uh, it's got Phil in. This was actually a gentleman by the name of Nick Dimmers, I believe, scored that 28 not out from 41. He uh, he scored out at three for 26. Now, Warners Bay again, deep bowling. Um, and again, 68 runs. Yeah, not a big total, but it's one of those totals. You see uh, teams can defend, and especially in this Division One comp where it's so strong. Uh, but Nick Dimmers came out and whacked three sixes, two fours. So 26 of his 28 boundaries, yet he's faced 41 balls. 26 of those came off five. So when the ball was there to be hit, he, he's done the damage. But um, yeah, again, not only a good win for Waterboard, but that's really going to help their quotient as well, which in that middle order when we get to the ladders, very tight in that in the guts there. Absolutely. And ladies and gentlemen, I apologise. There is a slight delay between Dan and myself at the moment on Zoom. So please, uh, please bear with us. The other game that was completed was at 1833 Park at Raymond Terrace. And Port Stevens have put together a very good win here. Nine for 183 off their 40. And West Germain actually were dismissed on the last ball of the innings for 131. Port Stevens won this game because their top order basically got runs. Four of the five of them. Lee Williams, 37. Josh Moxie, 18. Jared Moxie, top scoring with 48. And Leighton Everly, 36 before he was stumped off Dallas Scott. And importantly, if you look at the result of this game, the, one of the most important innings was played down the bottom. Jeremy Kirk ended up 24 off 13 rocks right down the bottom of the order, uh, hanging around with the veteran Jason Everly. And they put uh, they put on uh, between them 25 runs at the end of the innings. That mightn't seem much, but it so often is uh, in Division One cricket. Partnerships and teams batting deep is very important. Um, unfortunately, the bowlers haven't been put in there, but that's a pretty consistent performance across the top order that's got that's done Port Stevens well here, Dan. Yeah, well, again, with this game, the Pythons won the toss and elected the bat. So, again, the wicket couldn't have been in uh, too bad. They scored 183 and 40. But if you have a look at it, they were three for 149. They've lost five for four in that middle order. So, to get to bat there 40 and to get to 183, they've, they've really done well. Uh, Jeremy Kirk um, probably put two into the river, literally. Um, and yep. that 24 not out, the cameo there at the end. Um, but 183 is always a tough, t- 
tough total in this competition, and especially yep. at King Park, where it's certainly not as quick as grounds like Clayton and Connolly. Uh, yeah, unfortunate figures aren't there, but uh, just looking, Dave Sullivan's got a couple of wickets there. Um, Scott O'Donoghue's got a couple. Mick Osgood's got a couple and a run out. So it's just been shared around. Alex Scott with a wicket, Harry Cornford. So the wicket's shared around. Um, journeyman's batting stats in. Dion Sandoz apparently batted 31 overs for that 32. was the backbone of the journeyman's innings. I've mentioned his name a couple of weeks ago. So there's a guy, if he's back playing full-time, he, he can bat 40 overs on his ear and, and he'll be a big... Uh, weapon, if you will, for the journeyman for the second half of the season. Um, you did mention the fact that he could bat deep, actually. I specifically remember that because it's also a most unusual surname. So. Yeah, so in a game, there's a few starts there. Brendan Patterson, who's I've probably been their most consistent batsman this year with 20. Uh, Fletcher Rinkin, 15. Scott O'Donoghue, 12. Dave Sullivan, 12. But no real start. Uh, sorry, a few starts, but no one's gone on with it. And to chase down 190, Obviously, someone has to get into those 70, 80, 90s and that someone's got to go with them for a portion. Uh, the wickets were shared around. Jason Everly, I mean, could say get sick of talking about him, but I don't. I love seeing the, uh, the Silver Fox playing week in, week out. Four for 31 from eight. And um, you look at the wickets he's taken, you know, Divert, Sandos, Rinkin, Donahue, straight through the middle order there. Um, Leighton Everly backed up his 30 off the two for 18. Jared Moxie has uh, been taking up the ball a bit this uh, part of the season. Five for against Redhead a couple of weeks ago. Two for six from three. And Brock Hawley, two for 24 from his eight. Um, look, good win there for the Pythons. They needed it. A uh, couple of losses. And um, the journeyman, yeah, not much can really say there. Um, you know, they've put in an honest run chase, but they've fallen about 50 short. And, uh, they'll, they'll, I'm still very wary of the journeyman in the second half of the season. Oh, 100%. Yeah, no question. And, of course, the other games were all abandoned, unfortunately, so no results there. Dan, are we thinking that the player HQ ladder that is listed at the moment is accurate? And then can you confirm that for me? The ladder it in play HQ for Division 1 is spot on. I can guarantee that. That's That lines up with the ladder that I'm keeping on the spreadsheet. Beautiful. So, ladies and gentlemen, the ladder. Warners Bay on 28, then Merriweather on 27, Cardiff. And the Rose Scholars on 24, Cardiff on top by quotient. Port Stevens on 23, the Waterboard 21, Redhead 20, Nelson Bay 19, Mary Ellen 17, and the Journeyman on 17. So it's still a very, very tight ladder. And you can have massive turn. You know, there's only 11 points between first and 10th. That's not very many. Remembering, of course, that you only get three points for a win. So um, look, Warners Bay and Merriweather will, will pretty much be targeting themselves to want to finish first or second. And the reason is that does give them an opportunity to play a couple of home finals, doesn't it, Dan? Yeah, well, finishing in the top four guarantees you a second bite if you get beat in week one of the final series. At two. Um, um, yeah, but fi- finishing one, two guarantees you a home a home final week one. If you win, you've got a home final in week three in the semifinal. If you lose... Um, highest place winners for the week. They'd play away in week two. So uh, the incentives there. Now, just a couple of things on that ladder. I mentioned yep. Cardiff Bullaroo and the Rogue Scholars both tied third on 24. Look at that quotient. Yep. Look how tight that is. And we keep saying we talk Eric. about quotient and it is so important. Cardiff Bullaroo 1.053. Rogue Scholars 1.019. That's 0.034. It's 
that's not much. It's, that's a handful of wickets. It's, it's 20 or 30 runs. Um, and if we look at fifth and sixth, so Port Stevens with that win have got that two-point break on the West Waterboard. But West Waterboard's quotient, 1.052, which is pretty healthy for teams sitting in sixth position, where the yes. Bisons are literally on one point triple O. So there's one game there. The, the Waterboard can pick up a game over the Pythons. They're going to jump them on quotient. Um, and because that quotient with a win will go up, and if the Pythons were to get beat, the quotient's going to obviously go backwards. Yep. So the Waterboard, although they're sitting in sixth, they have a very important quotient, and it's superior to the Rogue Skulls, and it's 0. 0.001 from the team coming third. So as I said, where I've mentioned that 15 overs to knock over 3 for 72 in that run chase, that's those little one percenters, which a lot of people probably wouldn't even think about, so important when it comes to the competition ladder. Absolutely. And when you get an opportunity to put a team to the sword by scoring quickly or taking 10 wickets, and you get massive advantage for taking 10 wickets quickly because the opposition's overs go to 40 regardless of where they're dismissed. So That's it's right. very important in the way the quotient works. So again, if, if the finals were played today, it'd be Warners Bay hosting the Rogue Scholars, Merriweather hosting Cardiff, Port Stephens hosting the Nelson Bay Turtles and the West Water Board would host Redhead. That's the that's the way the finals look going. The, the structure looks going in Christmas. I I think the top four may end up as they are now. I think the main danger to the top four is actually Port Stevens. I think Port Stevens have battled along, but I reckon they're going to come good in the second half of the season. I just I just that they would be the worry for the top four sides. The Pythons for mine are definitely the main worry. Yeah, the big thing in their favour, um, I think they had three home games in the first 11 rounds, just the anomaly with how the draw was structured this year. I think in those last seven games, they've got six at home. And their results will stay. This isn't me being a fanboy or anything. If you go back and look at their stats, they very rarely lose at King Park or 1833 Park. So, um, you know, if they, if they pick up all those home games, even drop one, I think they'll finish in the top four. Which team that misses out, I can't say. Um, but the Pythons, I'm very confident finish the top four. And I've got absolutely no doubt at all the journey. But we're currently sitting in 10th. They'll be in the top eight. They will finish in the bottom half of that top eight. They'll finish fifth to eighth. Um, there's just too much class there and too much ability. Yep. No, couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. And I have heard one or two people say that you are Port Stevens' best pro best promoter and best communicator, but uh, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> oh, it's just, it's just what, you know, you're familiar oh, he's with. Oh, he's not saying Port Stevens. Yeah, I'm only having fun. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah. the thing is, the Port Stevens guys actually listen to us. They give us feedback and they're actually, and we've had them in, interviewed and things like that. They've been very supportive of our podcast. So, and all jokes aside, that they've been really good supporters of this podcast over 15 months. Oh, look, and again, any feedback's great feedback as it shows people listening. And this is what it's about. It's, you know, we, we could talk each other's ears off, which we generally do. But Correct. the reason we're doing this is to give a bit of promotion of the competition and maybe a bit of humour, a bit of banner as well. Uh, and don't worry, I, I, my messenger and inbox, I, I, I get let known if I've misquoted or, or miscommented on the buttons too, so it's, which I enjoy. It's good because, again, it shows people listen. Well, they say, luckily, creates cash. Not there's any cash involved, but, but you know, if if they're not whinging about you, you're not doing your job. Luckily, my email obviously is you know, overly well known out there. <laughs> it's easy to find, <laughs> but I don't get them. So thanks for that. 
Dan, we're going to go through a couple, uh, just a couple of divisional ladders before we go on to other things, and particularly want to talk about some an exciting John Bull Shield result for um, the Suburban Districts Rebels. Dan, on to um, second, if you would like to take us through these. I've got the second division ladder up. Um, I'm hoping it's close to accurate. Do you want to take us through the top four or five teams in the second division, please? Yeah, so the division two ladder as it stands, I'm uh, looking through it, I understand that's as, as accurate as possible. Um, I'll do, I will take this opportunity for let clubs know that you've got a two-week break now. Any clubs who have got results still pending that need to be finalised in Play HQ and player stats entered, highly recommend that you use a couple of hours in this two-week break to get them all up to date for the second half of the season because the last thing anyone wants to see in seven weeks' time when semi-finals come round and teams ninth or tenth on the ladder but they've missed out putting results in and then complaints happening because they've missed the semis and they should be there when it's just been clerical administration errors at a club level. So as Molly would say, do yourselves a favour, get into Play HQ, get your stats up to date. If there's any issues, which there may well be, get in touch with John Bailey or Josh Moxie. Um, you've got their email addresses. There's a suburban districts chat group um, and they get on and, and fix any anomalies on their behalf uh, as quickly as possible. So there's really no excuses for things not to be up to date. And if a bullfed like me can put in scores for my club, then there's some very, very smart people around the place who are a lot cleverer than me who can get, spend a little bit of time getting it done. And, of course, I actually input some suburban district scores myself, which um, I do quite proudly for our lads. And, in fact, the Washingtons and the Generals, if I may just take a quick adjourn, are actually playing competitive cricket at the moment. They're both going quite okay in the competition, more wins than losses. So very proud to see our, our suburban districts teams, the Generals and the Washingtons, going okay. Cable McCauley and, and Snapper Smith are doing a great job with those sides. Dan, second division, please. And I'll, there'll be a very proud Dan Saunders in here because uh, the team that he loves is uh, sitting up there very high in the ladder. Away you go, Dan. Second division, please. So as the ladder stands after 11 rounds, Port Stevens Pipes in second 11 are on 28 points. The mighty Katara Hornets, Johnny Finance's boys, are sitting tied second on 25 with the uh, Merriweather Carrington Gravity Riders. Uh, both teams on 25 points. The Premier Hotel from Adam Sand Cricket Club are sitting in fourth on 24 points. So they come back from Division 1 last season, um, but they're making a good fist of it there in Division 2. Uh, in fifth spot, Glendale Old Boys on 23. The West Waterboard, uh, their second 11, a sixth on 21, tied with Maryland Fletcher on 21. Eighth place is Warners Bay on 18 points. And then West Walls and Workers and Redhead uh, rounding out the ladder there in Division 2. Of course, Adamstown's uh, Premier Hotel, the, the club of our dear, our dear colleague, Lucas James Holmes. Dan, on to, division, on to Division 3 for us, please. So the Division 3 ladder, just waiting for my buffering. So Maryland and Fletcher are on 29 points. So they've had eight wins, two no results, so two washouts um, and one loss in that. Uh, now, they, they were last year's, I believe they were minor premiers, and they lost the grand final of the Beach Hotel in an absolute cracking game at Charlestown Oval. Yes, Maryland that's right. At the break, are on top on 29 points. I have a three-point jump on Warners Bay, third in 26. Valentine Elibana Blues are on third spot in 25. There's a four-point break to 21 points. That's the Beach Hotel last year's Division Three premiers. Uh, they are tied on 21 points with the Adamstown Cricket Club Brown Mundi. Um, and the quotient, check this quotient out. Beach Hotel, 0.881. Brown Mundy, 0.862. So very tight there. Um, 
the Merriweather District Cricket Club, the Newcastle Nepalese, are sitting in sixth position on 20 points. And what a, a throwback they are. They're, they're fit. They've got a very big social media presence. They actually give out their own player of the match award at the conclusion of each game, whether it's to a teammate or to the opposition. That's fantastic. Wow, okay. Yeah, so um, they, they, the Spirit of Cricket Award, if there was such a thing in suburban districts, well, my vote would be to the Newcastle Nepalese. A great bunch of guys. And, um, yeah, they, they love their cricket. Love their cricket. They so love it. So they're one of three teams on 20 points. Hillsborough Cricket Club tied six or on seventh on 20. And Edgeworth Tavern, who were the Division Four minor premiers last year, uh, Smitty Hornet smashed him in the uh, grand final. Wouldn't say smashed him, but him on last ball of the match. Uh, yep. They're on 20 points as well. Newcastle City on 19. And Coral Nelson Bay uh, on 14 points, rounding out the Division Three ladder. On to Division Four. So we've got West Journeyman on 25. West Lakes at 23. Then um, equal on points is Warners Bay and BMCC. And that stands for? Ferrisfield Memorial Cricket Club. My friend, Mr. Redden's uh, frozen on his end. We'll see if he comes back. West Journeyman on 25 points. West Lakes Renegades on 23. Warners Bay, 22. Ferrisfield Memorial also on 22. In fifth spot, Waratah Mayfield on 21. And a three-point break to the Katara Hornets on 18. Maryland Fletcher, 17. And then tied eighth of the Adamstown Dukes and the Walls End Tigers. We might have a small issue. I'm not sure. Redders is frozen on his end. But still saying recording. So I'll just keep going. Hopefully that he'll jump back in. So if we look at Division 5's ladder. Where are we? So Maryland Fletcher on top on 23 points. Valentine Elibana Gold are on 22. Stockton Generals on 21. Now, just ladies and gentlemen, if I can make, if I... If I can just uh, just excuse myself here, everybody. There's been a significant um, connectivity problem between the two of us. Um, if there's a bit of a gap in this, I'll go. I'll try and edit it tomorrow morning when I post this. But please accept our apologies that we do have, particularly at my end where I am in Northern Sydney, there are some connectivity issues. So please accept my apologies. Um, I took over a little bit there when I lost Dan, but I'm not sure what's going on. So I can see that the recording is going ahead. Dan, please continue. Yeah, I just kept going with the ladders. I did see the red record flashy on this end, so I'm hoping it kept going. So we're just on Division 5. So Maryland Fletcher on top on 23. Valentine Elibana Gold, 22. Stockton Generals, third on 21. Valentine Elibana Gray round out the top four on 20 points. In fifth spot of the Maryland Mudrats on 18. The Taralba Billy Goats on 17. Waratah Mayfield on 15. The Katara Hornets on 14 in eighth spot. And then in ninth are the Slashers on 12 points. Um, we may as well round out the final two divisions while we're here, Division 6. Wow. Warners Bay. Again Goodness me, that's a huge gap, isn't it? Eight points, yeah, very much so. Uh, Warners Bay on 28 points with a quotient of 1.627. Uh, and they've had two losses. So all that says is, is they've gotten on every game except round one when everyone was washed out. Um, if we look at this, quite, yep. quite a few teams there have had three and four games missed. Uh, Port Sevens, Pythons, third 11, a second on 20 points. 
Stockton Washington's, as our Red has referred to, going quite well. We're tied third on 19 points, sharing third spot, yep. but in fourth on quotient of the Hunter Taverners. Fifth spot, Waratah Mayfield, sitting in fifth on 18. Valentine Elibana Green, also on 18 points. Toronto Mud Crabs, seventh on 18 points. Gee, there's four teams on 18. Nelson Bay are on 18. So that quotient, the difference between fifth and eighth is solely quotient. Uh, Beresville Memorial on 17 and Tech College, who have only just come into the competition in the last few weeks. So I'm not sure about their points. They've only played three games, had two wins and a loss. Um, whether there'll be an average or an aggregate there, I'm not sure, but um, we'll just leave that one alone for now. And finally, Division 7, the uh, six-team comp. Just hoping this slide is accurate. So Adamstown Hunters, 10 from 10, undefeated. Uh, with one no result. They're on 32 points for the quotient of 3.218. So uh, they're well... Might be some serious burglars in debt. There might be some there serious well burglars be. in that side, for one of a term. Well, I'm sure that'll get evened out next season come grading. Uh, yeah. Valentine only behind a red second on 20 points. Maryland Fletcher, 19 in third. Waratah Mayfield District on 17. Tied in fourth, but fifth on quotient is the club Charlestown Bin Chickens. And Warner's Bay Div 7, uh, 6 on 15 points. So that's a wrap of the ladders as they stand after 11 rounds in the Suburban Districts competitions. But once again, if uh, anyone's got any issues with that, maybe on first first up, check um, that all stats have been entered correctly. Please do so, ladies and gentlemen. Now, Dan, just before we go to the John Bull Shield, did you have... Want to highlight any performances or will we put that in abeyance no, because well, there were so many games abandoned? Well, I found that there wasn't too many standout Stick performances with it. only because there wasn't so many games, but there are four I want to touch on. And because it is a performance of the Rand Award, I don't see why the players who did play should possibly suffer and miss out in a few bottles of chilli sauce. So uh, we've touched which Cronin was uh, the runner-up here. Um, very unlucky, five yep. for 26 from eight overs in Division 1, but I'll touch on Mitch Cronin again shortly. Um, in Division 4, Lincoln Reed bowled seven overs, took five for 24 for Beresfield Memorial. Um, obviously, expect to be a very bowler-friendly um, afternoon on the weekend. In Division 5, Ben Kane, playing for Maryland Fletcher. Now, he usually plays Division 4 with the Westlakes Renegades, so good on him for helping out the, uh, the Westlakes Renegades. They are a incorporated... They're at an uh, affiliated club with the Maryland Fletcher Cricket Club. Um, yep. So he holds seven overs, five maidens, four for nine. Very tight, very tight. Um, but this week's Suburban Districts, Newcastle Chili Brothers performance of the round has gone to a player in Division 4. Now, I went back and had a look through the list of winners and Division 4 up until this week was the only division not to have claimed a performance of the round. So... Across the first 10 weeks, because round one was washed out, all eight grades have been represented across the 10 weeks. Um, but Liam Lewis from the Warners Bay Cricket Club, seven overs, three maidens, five for 12. Bowling for Warners Bay on the weekend. Um, based on the limited amount of performance available, but that, that stacks up on most weekends. Seven overs, three maidens, five for 12. But Liam Lewis, congratulations. You're, you are this week's... Sorno and Redders podcast performance of the round award winner from our sponsors from the Newcastle Chili Brothers. You've won yourself three bottles of 
chili sauce. There's 10 marvelous flavors to choose from. I can't remember them all. There's mango chili, there's sweet chili, there's uh, chili barbecue, there's sriracha, there's jump on their website, newcastlechilibros.com.au, has all the flavors there. I'll get in touch um, after recording and arrange to uh, get that prize too. So well done to Liam Wills from the Waters Bay Cricket Club. Indeed. Well done, Liam. And we thank our wonderful sponsor, Newcastle Chili Brothers. Dan, just before we go, um, some exciting developments for Newcastle Urban District Rebels in the John Ball Shield. Um, Newcastle Suburban District Rebels played Singleton at Howe Park in Singleton last Sunday in a game that was um, significantly affected by rainfall. Singleton um, made seven for 121 off 31.5 overs. And I'll get Dan to set the story for you as to when the rain's fallen. Um, and uh, in reply, Newcastle Suburban District Rebels got the runs. They ended up three for 122. And importantly, they got them in 15.5 overs. There is an interesting story to tell here. I, um, Dan's explained to me what's happening in the game. Dan Saunders, over to you and what was a very, very important win for the lads. Yeah, well, first up, congratulations to the Suburban District Rebels. They're our second win from three games. They've also had a bias so after four rounds. Uh, sitting tied on the ladder on eight points, I believe. Um, look, plenty of rain around, as Red has referred to, over the weekend. And this game was interfered with with rain. Obviously, only 31.5 overs been bowled. There were a couple of rain delays. I think the game may have been delayed start. And there was a couple of rain delays during the fixture. Um, after 31.5 overs, uh, two official umpires. So make that very clear that any decisions made were made by the officials who are um, in charge of the match. Um, when they've gone off for rain after 31.5 overs, the umpires decided that at that point of the day that Newcastle, when they returned to the field, would bat. Now, I'm not sure what's happened there, but my understanding, I'm a very simple man, is that when there's rain involved and overs aren't completed, the duckworth lewis stern uh, method is brought into play. Um, in this instance, and now we're not here to bash umpires or anything, uh, we certainly, you know, we, we discourage that. But they've got this wrong. They have not gone to Duckworth-Lewis. They've turned around and said 7 for 121 of 31.5 is Singleton's total, and that will be Newcastle's chase. They'll need 122, and they have, get this, 31.5 overs to chase. Um, now, some impressive figures here. Can I cut in there, please? Can, can I say something? Yeah, certainly. If you don't mind. No, so that is not the way... Um, one, one, that, that is not the way the system works. Assuming that the rules of the John Ball Shield say that DLS is, is, in, is, in, uh, um, is in use for this competition, that, that's the only subjector I'll say. That is not the way the algorithm works. If you get cut short at 31.5 overs, you have not had a chance to bat your overs out. And the Duckworth-Lewis algorithm, something that I've um, used quite a lot in my various scoring guises, Daniel, um, say that the team batting second has to chase a higher score. Okay? That's the way the Duckworth-Lewis would. So what you would have done is put in sets, um, 7 for 121 or 31.5, you've lost, what's that, 18.1 overs? Yep. And it would spit out an alternate score. Now, to give you an example, Dan, in the Tom Locker Cup final this year, excuse me, Stockton made 223 off 40 overs and then it rained. Okay? 
That's West right. had to come out of 20 overs and make 164, which is eight and over. So that's total knowing, and, and I'm only stating facts here. This is not an opinion. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm not giving an opinion, everyone. I'm stating the facts. There should have been a DLS calculation done and that score should have been raised significantly. I would reckon as much as 160 or 170, to be honest with you. That's all I'm going to say. It is not a difficult thing to do. However, with Duckworth Lewis, it's much easier when you have the rain not fall in the middle of an innings. It does cause a lot of issues. I've got lots of calls when rain, and it doesn't actually happen very often, surprisingly. But last year, we had a situation where rain fell in the middle of a game, in the middle of an innings, and it changes everything. So that's all I'm going to say. But I would suggest to you that school should have been quite a lot more, but it wasn't, and so be it. Please keep going, mate. And that's, I'm not... Giving, I'm not giving you opinion. I'm just trying to state facts as to how the actual system works. No, understood. Appreciate um, that that clarity, both, both for myself and our listeners. Um, look, Singleton did well to get the 121 as it was. Uh, the waterboard pair of Ben Jurd and Mitchell Cronin, they took nine wickets between them on the Saturday. Uh, ben Jurd was, a, I believe, a late replacement for Jeremy Rushford. Um, and Josh Moxie was also um, replaced by Scott Burns. Moxie uh, went down with an ankle injury on Saturday, so hopefully Josh is um, getting around okay. Uh, but Mitch Cronin and Ben Jerd, they yep. bowled their maximum eight overs um, consecutively at the start of the innings. Mitchell Cronin, eight overs, three maidens, three for 28. Uh, three no balls, one wide. And Ben Jerd, eight overs, one maiden, three for 15. They had Singleton six for 45, and in all sorts, um, or 16 overs. Uh, to Singleton's credit, Daniel Storey came in at eight, did 47 from 38. Uh, 42 of those uh, coming in boundary, six fours and three sixes. Um, the wow. wicket chair around there, Michael Rippon took the other wicket, three overs, one for 12 from the waterboard. His first over went for 10, but he come back well, one for two from two, including getting that key wicket of Daniel Storey. So, 122 was the target that they apparently agreed on. Now, uh, Mitchell Cronin was a skipper for Newcastle, all the Suburban Districts Rebels. And I'd say the team were instructed, let's just get these runs as soon as possible. And that's what they did. Lee Williams just was on fire. 30 from 18, four fours and a six. Tim Cameron, 26 from 37 with four boundaries. But Mitch Cronin, 42 not out from 25, seven fours and one six. And talking to a few other people who are there witnessing... Um, some of those shots were, yeah, weren't sure what the ball did wrong to deserve how hard it was getting hit. But that uh, total, 122, three down, 15.5 overs. They've got the run chase in eight runs and over. Um, a big win. I don't believe Singleton again a protest result with two official umpires there. I don't see that there's much that can be done. Um, certainly hope not. Uh, my concern is it's Hunter Valley Council um, and there's six weeks between games. So they've got a lot of time on their hands. But hopefully um, the umpire's decision stands um, and that their final clash on the 29th of January against Upper Hunter is hopefully for a place in the John Bull Shield final. And ladies and gentlemen, the critical thing with that run chase is that the Suburban District Rebels got those runs so very quickly. And that's had a massive permutation on quotient. So this ladder, ladies and gentlemen, I'm about to read is not complete. Okay, it's not complete at all. Cessnock have played three games and have eight points with a 1.605 quotient. The Rebels are equal first on points and they're actually second with a 1.147 quotient on eight points. 
Singleton, who importantly cannot accrue any more points because they've played their games, they have to buy my last round, are on eight points but have an inferior quotient than the Rebels. Now, Maitland and Upper Hunter, Dan, tell us the story there. This result has not been entered onto PlayHQ, but I believe there might have been a bit of an upset. Yeah, my understanding is that Upper Hunter defeated Maitland on the weekend, uh, which will put Upper Hunter onto four points. And Maitland actually, well, they'll join Maitland on four points. Not sure of the actual scores. I haven't been um, given those. And I haven't seen them on the Maitland District Cricket Facebook page. Um, yep. But pending the quotient turnaround, I mean, they've got a point three difference going into the match. Um, now, if, there were, if it was a significant victory, up behind it could actually jump Maitland on that ladder. Um, but as it stands, Sessop and Newcastle Suburban Districts both on eight points with Singleton. As Red has stated, Singleton will finish on eight. They have the buy in round five. Uh, Sessop play Maitland, Newcastle play Upper Hunter. Uh, if we win, we're in. If we lose, it will depend on the result of that Cessnock Maitland game. If Maitland to win, they'd go to eight points as well. And then pending quotient. Now, Cessnock had the luxury of a quotient at present of 1.605, ours 1.147. So, Cessnock, they'd have to take a pretty significant hit to drop below the Rebels on the ladder if they end up on tied points. Indeed. Now, that final game, everybody, is the 29th of January. The 29th of January is the final round. And we're just hoping that the Rebels have a good result up there at the Bill, the lovely Bill Rose Sporting Complex in Scone. Great setup that is up there at Scone. I'm just hoping that it's not in the middle of a heat wave because I can tell you that place is not the coolest place on earth. Um, hopefully it's worth a like moment. So again, I'll run through the fixture on, in round the 29th of January. Maitland and Cessnock are playing a massive derby at Robins Oval. And Upper Hunter and Newcastle Suburban Districts will play at Bill Rose um, Sports Oval. And they're playing at the Saunders Ground, which is probably a problem. Oh, how about that? Oh, long, long lost uncle, Bill Rose Saunders, yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Dan, anything further you want to discuss in what's been... A, a, hopefully the recording comes out okay, but it's been great catching up, even though we had a, trun um, a truncated weekend with wet weather. Anything else? And can I just wish you and your family all the very best for the, the, the break, and I hope you enjoy the Boxing Day Test match. Yeah, and same to you, Red. It's all the best to you and, and your wife and your family. Um, you know, it's that time of year where you just want everyone to be safe and, and spend time with those that, you know, they, that, that mean, mean a lot to them, family, friends, uh, whether that's blood or not blood. Uh, no, look, I think we've tied everything up in a boat for 2022, 2023, just around the corner, the second half of the season. Um, I'm really looking forward to the back end of this season. Uh, I, I've just really loved the eight-team final series. Um, there's some quality cricket to be played and, and you know, there's certainly a lot more questions to be asked by a lot of teams leading in. I mean, the start of the season, we lost round one, you know, to the whole round with, with weather. Um, majority of teams have, up until the weekend have, have played, gone through. There's been a number of clubs who rounds two, three, and even round four couldn't get on. But we had about six consecutive weeks here where all cricket went ahead, barring any forfeits, which the last couple of years it's sort of been unheard of. So... It's great to have gotten so much game, so many games on. I don't want to, you know, be a, a, a Jonah and, and mock, you know, heaps of rain into the new year. But um, yeah, no, really looking forward to the back end of the season. And um, yeah, just hope everyone listening, hope you all have a great Christmas and a safe Christmas and New Year period. Um, yeah, Boxing Day test, David Warner's 100th test could be second last test uh, if you read the papers too much. But um, 
I guess he'd really like a ton for Christmas. He might answer a few questions at the Australian selectors table too. Oh, I don't think there's much chance he'll go on the test tour of India. Um, and Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson and Mark Wood will be queuing up the bowl to him in England with a Duke cricket ball unless something dramatic happens. And yeah. trust me, he's been a great cricketer. But Look, everyone's time comes. Regardless of all the you know, the crap that he cops, and I've always been a Warner supporter. I love the way he approaches his cricket. Yeah, there was South Africa, but you know, still, Cameron Bancroft had the same fact in his hand, not David Warner. Steve Smith was a skipper. The bowlers were using a ball. They knew what was going on. So I don't want to get too deep into that, but um, he's just a maligned character, but he's played 99 tests. He's just shy. He's, you know, he's only about 80 runs shy of 8,000 test runs, still averaging over 46 for Nathan Batsman. Um, he'll be the 13th Australian to play 100 tests. Um, and I believe he's earned the right to go out on his terms. But I, I hope for his, not just his benefit, but for his legacy, that his terms are a farewell test at the SCG in the third test against South Africa. I think in India, his footwork, he's just lost that. You know, it's only a split second, but that's the difference. You saw Pony at the end of his test career and you know, over the second most test runs in, in the game and towards the end of even Pony's career, he he just, he wasn't the same. It's like a boxer that goes just too long. Um, again, I, I think Warner could do himself a fate. Yeah, play your 100 test in Melbourne, play your Sydney test and announce your retirement from Test Cricket. I I think it's at a point now where the selectors may take that decision about India and the Ashes out of his hands. His last Ashes tour, I think he scored 91 runs in 10 innings and there was a 60 included in that. Um, in India, the average is under 30. His feet aren't moving as they should. You know, cash in in the IPL, the, the, the big bash. Hell, come and play in the summer bash as a marquee for I care. But I think Henry Hunt, Sam Whiteman, uh, maybe even Marnus Lorbachain can potentially move up, Smith back to three and Matt Renshaw into the middle order. I don't know. Um, but I think uh, he's had a pretty solid you know, 10, 11 year test career. Um, I think it's time. It's interesting. I was about to ask you who you think would come into the side to be the opener. Um, well, it's it's tough because there's no openers really knocking down the door. Will Pekowski... You know, with his you know, continuous some um, injuries, you know, from concussion, I, I don't think they'll go to him. Um, and I, I don't, I'm not even sure if he's actually playing at present. Um, I've always been a massive Curtis Patterson fan. I think they missed the boat there when he made his debut. He's got a hundred and second test. Should have gone to England in 2019 as a reserve bat. He didn't go. I think they took Pukowski. Hasn't been looked at since. He's had a few injuries with his um, hamstrings and calves. Um, captaining the Sixers in the the big bash, and he's the um, New South Wales skipper when, when all are available. Um, but I think now that he's, I think he's about 28 or 29, I, I think that they'll look beyond him as well, which is unfortunate because he, he, he was test match written all over him, his temperament. Look, I, I think um, Hunt went on their development tour in the, in the off-season to the subcontinent, went okay. Um, he, he's, um, I have to declare, I'm, um, I've managed Henry Hunt in cricket side, so I know Henry. Um, okay. So I've got to be careful. I've got to be careful what I say there for, to, for honesty reasons. Sure. Um, there are others. The, some other young players being mentioned who are just at the start of their careers is the Victorian Ashley Chandra, a singer, and also Teague Wiley, a, a West Australian young man who, played yeah. him, who can really play. The problem is there's no one sitting at opening averaging fifty in Sheffield Shield cricket. There's no one, as you say, there's no Matthew Hayden or Justin Langer absolutely tearing down the, the door to get picked. 
Daniel Hughes has had a very good career for New South Wales, but he's been there 10 years and averages, you know, his average isn't bad. But there's really no one you could... Uh, I think they might look to Renshaw. It's a possibility. It's a possibility they might go there. Um, the other one they may look to is a young man called Tim Ward, who plays for Tasmania, who's actually played in the last couple of years in the uh, Summer Bash for Cardiff, who went down to Tasmania. He scored quite a lot of runs. Okay. But who they pick is going to get real interesting. They clearly have to pick players that can bat on Bunsen burners. And it's yeah. not it, not everybody's suited to them. No, and, and again, do you want to be sending someone over to India on their test of boo, on a hiding to nothing? I mean, one name we haven't mentioned is Marcus Harris. He's in the squad. He's there as the, the extra bat, and he is an opening bat. Um, the opportunities he had for Australia, he didn't, he didn't really take them. Um, and, and to be honest, if Warner turns up in Melbourne or Sydney, I mean, heaven forbid both, I think he'll go to India. And, and, and the question will be off the table. If he's, if he's, he seems to think he's still good enough. All the players, I mean, again, when, when all the coaches and the players come out and support, it generally means the knife in the back's coming. We see that in footy circles all the time. Um, yeah, it's... it's to, to me, the gamble would be, and I know they were talking about Maxwell if he comes back from his broken leg. They were talking about him pre-injury, about going to India. Uh, now, that may also be an option, but I think they need to get someone into that top six. I mean, Maxwell has to be early 30s now. I mean, his best days are in the rear vision mirror. Um, and blokes like Maxwell and Warner, they'll have still you know, extended years playing short-form cricket, T20 cricket especially. Um I think short term, it, it may well be a case. See, back, remember back in the day, whoever came in generally started at six and they worked their way up the order. Steve Waugh, Ricky Ponning, I think Mark Waugh's in it. I think he might have come in at four or five. Uh, Greg Blewett, Stuart Law, guys, um, those middle order bats, but they need a specialist opener. Kawaja was a top order bat who's now became a specialist opener. Um, I don't know. To, to me, and, and again, you don't want to mess around with what's working, but Maybe Marnus to open, Smith to three, head to four, and Renshaw to five. I think I think Renshaw... Look, there, there is one more player that... There's one more experienced player who has played test cricket that's got a lot of runs this year, and that's Peter Hanscom. And Hanscom's just about the top of the Sheffield Shield ladder. Now, I can see I can see the face that Dan's make at the moment. Admittedly, he made 281 on the flattest track in all, the entire world, that being at the Junction Oval. His technique got found out something terrible in his previous... Now, he, look, he may have worked on that, and there's no better form than current form. Um, and again, why play the game and be pumping out, churning at all these runs if the opportunity for selection isn't there? So, look, if Pete Hanson's the answer, um, I think personally in India, um, I'd look elsewhere. Um, you need, like, as you said, turn on Bunsen Burners over there. You, you need... To have a very solid team. And Matt Renshaw, from memory, when they last toured India, he was one of the few blokes who got runs. Uh, yeah, I think he also earned Alan Border's eye. Did he not go off ill at some stage? And Border said, unless he's dead, get him back out there. But uh, yeah, touring India is an interesting thing. Dan, thank you so much for your time tonight. I uh, appreciate you giving up some of your family time. Uh, look, thank you for the first uh, uh, a couple of months of the podcast. As always, do a sterling job. It's absolutely my privilege to do this with you. You're such a good advocate and a great advocate for, for suburban district cricket. Let's come back in the new year with a couple of special guests and we'll keep flying and, and uh, keep, keep promoting this excellent competition. But again, from me and from all of us, thank you so much for all of your work. 
Uh, my pleasure, Redis. Thank you. Um, it's always great, you know, catching up with you and doing this podcast each week. It's, it's just great to chew your ear, whether it's recording or off air. Um, and again, anyone out there listening, if, if they'd like to come on as a guest, get in touch with me. I'm not hard to find. Jump on the Cricket Newcastle page. Find me on Facebook. Um, more than happy to. I've got a couple of lines of the five people I'd like to have on as guests in the second half of this season. But again, if if you've got something out there or something you want us to promote while we're, we're here, please, by all means, um, use the yep. users. Fantastic. Dan, thank you so much. Have a great Christmas. We'll speak to you uh, in early January. And I'll be on the road for a couple of them. I'll be uh, away at the Australian Country Cricket Championships, which uh, I'm, really, I'm very thrilled to be thrilled to be part of and just just to clarify for people i was quite pointed about the dls i do do some dls calculations from time to time in their various scoring so i i'm not, I'm not bragging i've just got a bit of experience with it so that was the, the context of where i'm coming from dan take care look forward to speaking to you soon my friend thank you thanks Redders. merry christmas everyone same from me as well enjoy your break enjoy the cricket in melbourne enjoy the cricket in sydney enjoy the big bash just take care look after yourself be safe drive safe and um, make sure you've got a plan b take care bye-bye